0: Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummels Wharf. Matt Lombardo joins us. Matt, welcome. Great to have you with us.
1: Steve, great to be here. But I, I will say, Ricky R- Ricardo is a good friend, but also a tough act to follow. What a call that was.
0: Uh, is it, I mean, isn't he he's spectacular, whether it's the Eagles or the Yankees? He's just he's first class all the way. Uh, Four NFL players are suspended, three uh, indefinitely. And then Nicholas Petit-Ferrer from from Tennessee did not gamble in the NFL, but evidently must have done it somewhere around the workplace or on the road or whatever. Uh, The rules to me are black and white, and I know they're posted everywhere, Matt. Uh, Is this just the NFL just trying, you know, that these guys are, A, doing it, but b they've got it they've got to make examples, and they're doing it. Yes, yeah, Steve.
1: I'm not sure that the rules are as black and white as you and I might presume them to be, obviously, uh, it seems like it would be common sense not to bet on your own games or bet on NFL games, but players are allowed to gamble on casino games online or playing cards or whatever. I think what surprises me most is that players not only are betting on NFL games, but you see the bets that Isaiah Rogers has placed. A lot of these were for $25, $50 parlays, $1,000 prop bets. Really insignificant amounts of money when you talk about the grand scheme of things and what they're risking by placing these bets. And I'm also surprised that agents haven't been more aggressive in terms of telling their players, listen, it, 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 yes, it sounds hypocritical for the NFL to be you know, flooding the airwaves every commercial break with multiple commercials for their sportsbook partners and this, that, and the other thing. But you cannot, and I can't stress this enough, not bet on football. The fact that those things are happening, I think, I, I think are what surprises me the most about this storyline.
0: Because it's interesting, you talk about the the amount of the bets, which is interesting. And I was saying that, Matt, to my class when I've asked them about, you know, and I said, look, you don't want to participate, don't participate. How many of you gamble? These are college students. Usually two-thirds of the hands go up. So just out of curiosity, I said, what are the, how much do you bet? And some of them are betting between 200 and 1,000. And, Matt, I'm completely taken aback. Yeah, you
1: you and I both, because you talk about a college student who, you know, might be trying to scrounge up beer money for the weekend. $200 to $1,000 on sports bets is, is a pretty hefty amount of money. I, I just find it very fascinating that when you think about NFL players, or even if you're on – a veteran co- veteran minimum contract, you're probably making six hundred and fifty thousand dollars or more. Uh, not to mention guys that have been in the league with tenure, making multi million dollars. It's just sh- shocking and surprising to me um, that they would be risking that, placing a twenty five or a fifty or a hundred dollar bet. But it also, I think, goes to show you the competitive nature for some of these guys that um, they, they, they might not be chasing a dollar amount; they might be chasing the the. Field of winning, um, which they get on Sundays, but certainly this is another way to, to chase that high, so to speak, by placing bets on games. But I, I am really surprised um, that it wouldn't be common sense to players as much as it is for you and I not to be betting on NFL games, let alone their own teams uh, during the season.
0: The one that strikes me, though, if I have a problem with the NFL rule, it's that you're not allowed to place. Like, you're sitting in the locker room or somewhere in the facility and, oh, by the way, you know what, I'm going to put some money on the NBA game tonight. Maybe make a prop bet on what LeBron might score. Whatever. Right? And because you're in the facility, you can't do it. And, I'm like, that part makes no sense because in Major League Baseball, the NHL, and the NBA, you can. Yeah, no,
1: I agree there. And I'm also surprised um, at how much that's happening around the nfl because as somebody who's covered the league for years and has been in multiple team facilities it used to be now this might have changed over the last two or three seasons but even sites like vegas insider or any sort of fantasy sports section of espn or yahoo sports any site that's tangentially linked to gambling was blocked on Wi-Fi in the facility. So whether it's players just, you know, flipping the Wi-Fi off their phone and going over cellular networks to play place these bets, I'm I'm just surprised that it's happening as frequently as it is. But I agree with you. If sports betting is legal in your state and you're betting on the NBA or betting on college football or betting on Major League Baseball, I, I don't know that that's a suspendable offense. Uh, but I do understand uh, to a degree the NFL trying to. Root out gambling within the locker room and root out the culture so that um, it it doesn't become a situation where a guy's betting on NBA games and all of a sudden uh, slides into betting on NFL games. Um, But but definitely a situation where the NFL, as you said at the top of the conversation, I think they need to make an example of these guys to prevent it from becoming a, a stronger part of the culture within the league.
0: Well, so far, the key to me is no big names have been suspended. I mean that's that's the you know that's the big part to me. I mean Jameson Williams is still not a big name in the league and he got suspended for six games. But there are no big names that have been suspended. This is not Paul Horning, Alex Karras. They were big names when they were suspended. <laughs> right.
1: I don't hear Calvin Ridley from a year ago though, being suspended for a full year. There's a guy who's a thousand yard receiver, yeah, was one of the faces but, of the Atlanta but Falcons.
0: He but he wasn't playing at the time.
1: True. Very true. Very true But still he's a big name And I think that maybe uh, Having these these big suspensions come down Might be a step in the league uh, Cracking down on gambling Within the locker room And within the facilities for sure uh,
0: This is uh, an interesting time of the year Because this is one of the few times Matt where not a lot is going on uh, The NFL owns the cycle The other 11 months out of the year So what's this time of the year like for you?
1: Yeah, Steve, it's funny. People ask me all the time about the offseason. Um, you know, my part of the job in this time of year, it's kind of like the rest of the the entire league seems to go on vacation, right? Coaches, scouts, this is the time the players get away before training camp starts. So uh, for me, the content still needs to keep flowing. So it's a lot of preview stories, a lot of you know, lists, uh, ranking players for the upcoming season. Uh, you sneak away when you can, maybe you sneak off to the golf course to play nine midway through the afternoon uh, but it, it's kind of just like within the league, it's kind of the one chance out of the year uh, from the middle of June until the middle of July when camps open up to kind of just take a breath recharge and get ready for the marathon that is training camp through the NFL draft
0: because people ask me at this time of the year like what do you do and I literally have the schedule. Now, football's easy. Basketball's not out yet. But, I mean, I have it. And, you know, I'll say, hey, look, I'm already prepping for the upcoming season. That way, when I get to the week of games, I've got basics already done. And it helps me, you know, it makes the work week go quicker for me in a lot of ways because I already took care of the basics. So you have to do all that preview stuff. So what, what are a couple things that have you worked on that, that you know that will have some staying power for you when you put it out?
1: Yeah, I think the one that I really enjoyed, we put it out about a week ago when I left for vacation, Uh, went ahead and I predicted the next first-team All-Pro for every position in the league. The caveat is that these guys couldn't have been first-team All-Pros at any point in their career, but have a good chance of doing so uh, in the upcoming season so that was a lot of fun to put together and then uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks here we're going to be releasing our top five players across the league by position those are always a lot of fun especially when you talk about the quarterbacks and the running backs and the wide receivers the sexy skill positions that people really care about They're a good chance to spark some debate maybe stir up some controversy with some of the selections but you know stories like that certainly are a lot of fun they fill the calendar and, and they, they have some staying power because it's the the type of content that people are looking for all throughout the preseason and the run-up to the regular season getting underway.
0: How do you view the Sikon Barkley situation right now?
1: You-, you know what, Steve, that's a fascinating one because you talk to people inside the league, and I had an executive tell me that that is a contract squabble that's probably going to get done close to training camp. But I do think it's really interesting Um, that when Saquon Barkley came out at his annual youth camp and basically hinted at the idea um, that he would consider sitting out and holding out the entire season, that within 24 hours the report surfaced on NFL Network that the Giants had put their original contract offer back on the table. So that felt like Saquon kind of grabbing back some of the leverage in these conversations. But, But I think that, you know, I wrote about this about two weeks ago you look at what's happening at the running back position dalvin cook former all-pro thirteen hundred-yard rusher a year ago in the prime of his career something like twenty nine years old just gets released from the minnesota vikings so look at saquon barkley career year um with a coaching staff that finally knows how to utilize him and get the most out of him and he's on the franchise tag certainly can't get top dollar at his position and across the league you know you look at the the spend on running backs obviously the position is down But there are seven teams who have a payroll at the running back position that is at the same level or lower than what they pay their kicker. So I just think it's really fascinating to watch how a position is completely devalued. And if I were Saquon Barkley and if I were his agents, I would do everything I could to get every guaranteed dollar that I can on this contract because who knows what the future is going to hold on that next deal if there even is a next deal that comes along two, three, four years down the line.
0: So why... Devalue of running backs. You're talking about it's hard to find a thousand to fifteen hundred yards from scrimmage out of anybody. Why the devaluation of running backs, in your personal opinion?
1: I think, Steve, it comes down a lot to teams are going to the the backfield by committee approach that you need to have two, maybe three running backs who you might not be getting 1,500 yards from scrimmage from one guy and putting one guy through the workload of 25, 30 carries per game, but you might look at a Philadelphia where you have a Boston Scott and DeAndre Swift and multiple running backs who can get the job done. Um, you look at Dallas, certainly they moved on from Ezekiel Elliott. And they seem comfortable uh, moving forward with Ronald Jones and Tony Pollard once he gets healthy. I think you're going to start seeing continuing to see teams deploy two, three running back committees rather than invest a significant chunk of the cap in one guy who, with all of the the history of declining production after the age of 30, after all of the history of uh, injuries at that position, that if you can spread around the workload and the wear and tear and spread around the money, um, then you're not going to be in a position where you're investing a significant chunk of your cap on one position that might not make the same impact as a quarterback, a cornerback, a wide receiver, or an edge rusher.
0: Interesting, I mean, I, do, do analytics play a role in how teams view running backs?
1: Yeah, I'm sure that that's part part of the, the conversation, Steve, but I think a lot of it just is looking at the career trajectory of future backs. I mean, you look at just taking Saquon Barkley as an example, uh, the multiple high ankle sprains, the torn ACL. Um, mm-hmm. r- running backs, they just get beat up, and
0: yeah,
1: once you get into the life of that second contract and on, there's a pretty significant history of guys' production declining, um, and, and I don't know that I necessarily agree with the approach of going to a backfield by committee, Um, but I think that when you're looking at team building, the teams that are most successful are the teams that have dominant offensive and defensive lines, a franchise quarterback, and elite secondary play. I don't think that it's necessary to have that dominant running back as part of your offense, if you're a Super Bowl-caliber team. And if you can get by by investing in two or three above-average running backs rather than paying $10 million to a top-five running back, I think teams are going to continue down that path and and prioritizing those quote-unquote premium positions.
0: Wow. Interesting. Thank you so much, Matt. Really appreciate your time today. Enjoyed it.
1: Steve, always enjoyed the conversation. Talk to you soon.